Big Esports Podcast. In this episode, I'm talking to Kansas City Esports. And for those of you who've been listening to my content and ramblings for quite some time now, you've probably heard me talk a few times about localizing your business and localizing within esports. Often, you know, an esports team or something will reach out to me and say, hey, Chris, I want to get sponsored by Red Bull, Monster Energy, Corsair, Razor, what have you. And I say, well, what about localizing? What about focusing on your local community, looking at your local mechanics, barbershops, restaurants, butchers, etc.? And that's part of what Kansas City Esports Coalition are looking at. So I had to get three of them on here today, Jake, Abdul, and Sam, to have a bit of a chat about it. This is a good episode, and I would love for somebody to take this and implement it in their own city. There's not many of these around in esports globally, and I think there should be more. Enjoy. For those of you who have also lost your employment or are looking to skill up, we're trying to help here at Big Esports. We have an esports fundamentals course, which is helping people to understand an entry point into the employment within the esports and gaming market, whether you're coming straight out of college, university, high school, or whether you're trying to transition from another sport. To provide support for all of you, we're offering a pay-as-you-feel model. So you can head to bigesports.gg forward slash education. If you've lost your main line of employment and you can't afford to pay right now at all, that's perfectly fine. We're able to offer it up to you for free. You can pay now, you can pay later, you can choose whatever you want. The course is usually $127 AUD. You can take it now for whatever you feel is appropriate or whatever you're able to afford. Hopefully, this will help a few of you get back on your feet in the short term and also the long term. Jake, Sam, Abdul, how are you? Good, man. How are you doing today? Doing great. Good. That's good. That's good. Sorry for anyone who's wanting to tune in live. We're about 11 minutes late. I've had a some camera issues you might notice i'm not as crisp and clean on the camera today as i as i normally am i promise it's not because i'm tired but it's also because i had to switch from my dslr back to a webcam because i had some problems but we were just uh bonding before over abdul i think you've um you've upstaged all of us so far today yeah. looking much more crisp and clean <laughs> no worries guys so I think the easiest thing to do, because we've got so many so many people in here, just to get all three of you to give us a really quick rundown um, on who you are and, and your history in the gaming and esports space, and then let's let's tie it in together with the topic that we're talking about today, which is which is Kansas City and esports. Do you want to kick it off, Jake? Yeah, sure. So, uh, one, thanks for having us all here together. It's awesome to see kind of us all come together in this time of quarantine. Uh, we, we do a lot of Zoom calls, so it's nice to have us in this setting. Um, yeah, so for me, I'm, I'm look, I'm Jake Zinn. I'm vice president business development at eSports Supply, uh, co-founder. It's an experiential design firm that really focuses on bringing technology in eSports and integrating that into professional design services. So we focus on experiences not only in physical space, working with a lot of colleges and private facilities, helping design their spaces out, but also in the virtual world as well, which uh, we can dive into as, as part of the conversation today. But I guess at a high level, you know, my I'm a lifelong console gamer, some of my earliest memories were of my mom beating Zelda, uh, playing that quite often with her. Uh, kind of graduating up almost every Thanksgiving, every Christmas, I was getting just, you know, blasted by my uncles in Madden almost every single time. It's still like this, you know, I'm almost 30, I'm 30 now, actually. And so, you know, still on Thanksgiving, I still look forward to trying to beat those guys in Madden. They still end up beating me. And then probably just the, being a rad dad, somebody who's constantly, um, you know, looking for new ways to play sports with their kids. I'm a golf with my kids a lot, play a lot of video games with my kids. Um, I have a seven and four year old, you know, we, we get victory Royales uh, all the time in Fortnite. So if there's another parent and, uh, you know, kid duo out there that wants to challenge us more than happy to do that. But uh, yeah, I, I guess for me, it really just starts at 
video games has always been a connector for me, for family, for friends. And, and so to be able to then take that and, and grow that into a business, I've, I was, you know, professionally always worked in startups, always worked for venture capitalists. And so being in and around that and then getting my first opportunity to go out there, get some funding and, and launch a business to be able to marry that with kind of this core passion that I have for, you know, just gaming in general and just having fun with friends and family. Uh, it's probably the coolest thing that that's ever happened to me. So I'm extremely blessed and excited to, to be able to do that. Yeah. Fantastic. And I guess one of the most chiseled chins and infectious smiles in all of esports, Sam, do you want to let us know a bit about yourself? <laughs> I, I didn't even know that, that was uh, that was a monitor going around. I like it. Um, no, thank you so much for having us, Chris. And I've been following a lot um, of what you've been doing in just the last couple months, I think uh, when we connected on LinkedIn, um, but, but my name is Sam Kulikov. I am the creative director and founder of Social Apex. Um, we are a brand uh, brand development marketing agency in Kansas City. Um, we focus on strategy and brand positioning. So a lot of what we handle when it comes to clients um, really focuses in the emerging markets. And a lot of that has to do with developing stories as well as tactical campaigns that help really translate a brand's identity um, or a campaign objective through the digital space. Uh, so that's done through videography, animation, graphic design, uh, you name it. So all those types of things. And, and we built a really diverse business. Uh, my partner and I, Mark, have, have, have been able to just we've been really blessed to find a lot of great talent here in Kansas City of, of diverse backgrounds to give us a, a great team that helps us support um, and really represent the community in which we serve. So that was, you know, amazing thing to, to really launch that. I, I graduated from UMKC um, as an entrepreneurship major uh, about two years ago now. Um, launched the agency right after graduation, and that's um, thankfully been doing very well. And, and we've been able to really scale um, scale this dream into a reality. And from there, we, we really spent a lot of time in emerging markets. And like I said, and because of that, we were exposed to esports pretty early, um, along with spaces like cannabis, um, as well as other tech um, and budding financial industries as well. Um, but with esports, we saw the opportunity of it to be a vehicle for, for real change, right? We understand the potency of the industry of esports and how it can really truly transmit messaging in a way that was totally impossible for before um, and so for us as marketers and brand and brand builders and, and, and people that just truly love stories esports is is just such a it's 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 paramount to what we you know want to accomplish it, it's really just that picturesque view of like this is what the future can really be we can we can empower young people we can really push forward in missions of diversity access and inclusion we can do things that we just honestly never could have done even five ten years ago um, and that's because there's great people like abdul and jake zinn and marvin maston and other people in kansas city and nationwide that are filling their role they're playing the role right instead of you know i always say it's 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 not plumbing. Esports isn't plumbing. You gotta, you know, you can't own the entire supply chain. Everyone has to play their own role, right? You can't own the internet and the management of the tournament and the event planner and the, right. We have to have full workings of everyone. So, with that being said, we ended up starting a, a city-based organization by the name of Kansas City Pioneers, um, and so that's been active for about a year now, and we have um, approximately over twenty of us now, starting from from four. Um, so we, we've hit some electric growth, especially here recently and during the coronavirus challenges. And, and so that's been a blessing. And that is how I connected with Jason and Abdul. And, and so from there, you know, really 
truly my startings with esports was just a couple of years ago when we were exposed to to working with some of those clients and working on those brand development projects. But as you know, Jake alluded to in his experience with startups, you know, our experience in the business world as well as with our marketing background. It enabled us to to really jumpstart Kansas City pioneers, um, as well as you know really bring a fresh look at onto the scene. Um, so esports has been something, gaming has been something that I've I've loved for a long time. But until recently, the last couple of years, I never saw it as a very viable space. And just the last couple of years, it's really really made a pivot that that's been pretty astounding. Cool. And then the last person is is Abdul. Um, obviously, I have some apologies because he was left off the announcement graphic. Originally, we we were going to only have two guests, but I caved in, and, and now we've got three. So, Abdul, let us let us know a bit more about yourself. Oh, cool. I guess I'm crashing the party, but I'm Abdul Rashid Yahya. Abdul Yahya for short. Um, take make it easy for you guys. I carry a couple of different titles. Um, I originally am the fa- founder and CEO of Local Legend Gaming. Um, Local Legend Gaming is a video game truck company. Um, we started about two and a half, just about, just under three years ago, um, based out of Kansas City. We're, we uh, have a 24-foot-long climate control self-powered trailer that, that drives around the most casual competitive video game events just about anywhere. Um, we took we, we really based ours off of the traditional video game truck uh, company model, but we made it premium, like a like a party bus, so that it, so that gamers of all uh, age ranges will, will want to come on and have an acceptable exceptional shared experience um on there and have a good time um and also make it very instagramable by, by making a plush environment um but recently my company was acquired by a larger uh, esports company called midwest esports uh, that's based out of wichita kansas um founder ramsey jamul um he's another uh local brilliant guy um, that truly has a real affinity for for esports i met him about a year and a half ago um through an event where they contracted out local legends to run some Fortnite, uh, TL, uh, Fortnite competition for them. And we kind of just clicked. Um, the guy uh, had very clear vision um, and our visions are aligned to what we were trying to accomplish. So I kind of just applied pressure and was like, hey, um, the way the Midwest is set up um, with the rate that both of us are growing, um, the Midwest is going to force it to be, to be competition. If we work together, then we can, we can provide a, a better quality experience and product for the players. Um, so we went back. We went back and forth for about a year, as all business uh, usually does, and we finally landed on an agreement. Um, so now, uh, my title is generally president of Local Legends. Local Legends was, was absorbed in the Midwest, but I also sit as the chief business development officer for Midwest um, and develop new, new scalable products for the company. Um, but local, all Local Legends uh, business practices still exist. So the video game truck is, uh, of course. COVID permitting, um, still goes around and does plenty of events, casual and competitive. But we also have an educational path that we deploy in, in K through 12 schools. Um, thus, last year we taught our educational path in 15 schools in the greater Kansas City area. And then we also do event services. Of course, not the size of the company that, uh, that acquired us because they do convention scale, but we do pop up gaming events uh, all across the Midwest. Um, so, yeah, that's really all the cool stuff here. I mean, I, well, for game related. I'm um, also a father of three. I got a five year old, a four year old, and a two year old. Um, all, I'm sure you guys probably hear the chaos going on above me, but my wife is kind of handling that. Um, but that, uh, I'm a Kansas City native, did my undergrad at Kansas State University, then moved back to Kansas City to start my family and, uh, and create my, my business. 
Um, but I'm still Kansas City based. Our mother company, well, our umbrella company is just out of Wichita, Kansas. One of the reasons I want to get you guys on is it's something that I've been talking about so much in content um, that I believe quite strongly is is localizing things. And I've released a piece of content about this, but just to say it again for those that didn't see it, is that so many esports teams, for example, come to me and say, Chris, can you get me sponsored by Razer? Can you get me sponsored by Logitech? Um, you know, can you get me in touch with Red Bull? And often I'm saying to them, like, you guys are running something that's local. What about your local butcher? What about your local supermarket, your local mechanic? In Australia, the grassroots sporting culture is extremely popular here. Just down the road from me, there's an Australian football league club that, you know, before coronavirus, every Saturday, there are cars all the way down the street in there. There's families. They're having sausage chisels, barbecues, raising money. They've got a slew of, of local sponsors all around the grounds, the local real estate, the local butcher, the swimming pool, et cetera, all sponsoring that. So I've been pushing so many more esports companies to think about going much more local than going global. So obviously for you guys, you know, you're not only just running not a country sort of, you know, coalition federation, not a state one, but specifically a city one as well. So I'd love to hear from you um, about, you know, what you've seen in the local market, how people are pushing more local than global. Yeah, yeah I could, I'll could. i take the first half of that. And I think Abdul, you could probably finish it or, or Sam, feel free to chime in. But this all started really because, uh, you know, it really started as a napkin idea, right? There's a couple guys having beers. Um, there's a lot of global-based firms, so Populous, uh, really the godfather of this group, uh, deserves honorable mention for sure, is a guy named Marvin Mastin. He runs brand activations at Populous. Populous is a huge multinational or international architecture firm. They have an office there in Sydney. Uh, they built Philadelphia Fusion Arena, our Stadium Arlington. They do a ton of work out there building Olympic stadiums, etc. So there's always that big, you know, this group was really comprised and found by big forward-thinking global firms but to your point Chris what they saw in all you know and studying esports across the across the globe really doing arenas and, and working with partners across the globe that they had the same thesis that you did is esports really should be localized to as much extent as possible uh, and it was very very important to him that we have a grassroots organization that was inclusive of everybody uh, and the biggest thing I think that's come out of that um, is, to your point, is like we've started to f in the quest to, I think, find as many local esport organizations or entrepreneurs or educators or players through that. Right. We all have a couple of degrees of separation from other folks. And so we've got a massive new interest from some of the local companies that you know, prior to us putting this out there and doing the press release and putting on an event and, you know, putting together these uh, with these meetups, I don't think would have ever thought of esports as legitimate or thought about it as something that they would be interested in or see it as either a business opportunity or new market to tap into. But it all to me, it's one of the more easier ones to create a community around. Uh, because the at the end of the day, the, the population pool of people that enjoy video games is massive and it encompasses every age range, every background. And so taking that localized approach then ties something, you know, ties those gamers back to some affinity. But the fact that we've set our group up to just be inclusive of everybody with kind of the singular overall mission, I think really allowed groups, individuals, players uh, we have investors that have never picked up a video game controller before yet alone seen any of that stuff who are now interested in, in investing in what some of us are doing simply because mm -hmm. we have that localized uh, you know, group of talent and the way that we've gone about it. Yeah, it's a good, a good follow-up question for me and 
I've had this discussion with some investors and, and other people about what's sexy and what's not sexy in the market to invest in. And obviously, a $30 million Overwatch franchise, a $25 million Call of Duty franchise, that's very sexy. You know, FaZe Clan living in two 10-bedroom mansions in LA, you know, driving Lamborghinis or, or Nissans because they're sponsored by Nissan now. Sure. You know, having 16 city blocks worth of lines of people to rock up at the Fortnite World Cup, like that's sexy. You know, the Intel Extreme Masters, eight to 12,000 people in a, in a, you know, one facility kind of stuff. But I think that leaves so much for the Tier 2 and the Tier 3 market. You know, and for anyone watching, I've got a friend who makes good money out of the tier two market by picking up younger players and selling them off to professional organizations. He sold he's he sold two lots worth of Overwatch teams to six different organizations thus far and he's turned a profit out of that. You know, he's sold uh, some Paladins players to overseas organizations yeah. as well. He's been able to operate in the fighting games community at a very low cost because a lot of those players, you know, don't cost a lot of money and they're, and they're a single team event and things like that too. But trying to get investment with him and helping him out, it's hard because he doesn't have that franchise league. He's not number one on the ladder for a game like League of Legends or CSGO. So I'd love to learn from you, Adul, about that. You know, you, you said there was an acquisition, you know, in your past and obviously, you know, with the trailer, you're hyper-focused on local. It'd be really interesting to see like how that kind of transpired, how that conversation took place and like how your business operates. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a firm advocate of, of supporting local. I mean, local entities are the lifeblood of, of all of our businesses. It doesn't really matter how large uh, your company gets, uh, how big your marketing budget is. If you don't have the support of your local uh, community, you're really not going to go anywhere. You can just be spending money on advertising dollars. Um, but really, uh, probably one of the biggest accomplishments of local legends outside of the acquisition is we went an entire calendar year without spending a, a, a single marketing dollar. Um, we truly crowdsourced the individuals around us who who, who understood what we were trying to accomplish, um, supported the opportunities we were trying to provide, and the community generally just supported everything from coming to our events, pushing our events, uh, spreading the word, spreading the word on on what we're trying to accomplish, and also being champions for us. Um, like the the conversation with the fifteen schools that we taught our educational path in started with one school and they let it trickle out to the other schools and principals and, and administrators and decision makers just reached out after and after because we were focused on uh, the individuals right in front of us. I, I mean, absolutely. I would love to have an Astro game, you know, respawn uh, uh, sponsorship or a lot of tech sponsorship. But the reality is supporting local is when you actually purchase from these individuals, an actual individual does a happy dance. <laughs> like they're actually supporting the individual uh, that, that you can reach out and you can be, you can be thanked and, and, it, and it feels true to form. Um, but that's also why we, we built uh, uh, events like Play It For our charity basketball game that we host annually. Uh, this is a completely, I mean, Sam has done some of our media for it. That's actually how I met Sam. Um, is it's a completely crowdsourced basketball game where we donate 100% of the proceeds back to uh, the high school that I came out of. Um, we convert it into school supplies, and we do this so that not a not a child in those high schools has a reason to not be able to get their work done. I mean, every all of our businesses are supported by high schoolers. Um, we may have an adult that's the face of it, but fashion, music, technology is all truly uh, controlled by high school, junior high school kids. So if we're going to really have this next generation futuristic uh, future that we're looking for, we got to forward to the individual that's going to create it. Mm -hmm. well, just look at the things that, that we all studied in, in our undergrad and, and what the world is like now. If I had the skill set that I have now uh, 13 years ago, 
oh man, this would be a ridiculous conversation. Like it would, it would, the, the reach would be beyond. But um, even when that's that's uh, to allude to your question about the acquisition, I think that's really what resonated with uh, my business partners. Now is um, we were able to create something from nothing. And the reason that we were able to create something from nothing is because our story is believable. I'm Kansas City native. I, just, I went to, to K-State to get my undergrad, and I came back to Kansas City to start a career, um, got married to start a family, and my wife and I wanted to find additional income, so we, we took a swing at entrepreneurship. Um, we were lucky we took the right swing, uh, and the community knew that I knew technology because my undergrad was in computer science. And um, I've always had an affinity for, for gaming because I, I just be playing and compete against my buddies. So I had the following there. Um, and the product that, that, that we created, we focused on a premium, exceptional shared experience instead of just selling esports. Anyone can slap esports on, on a flyer and say it's a competitive event, but what we're, what we're actually selling is a shared experience. So when two or more individuals get together in front of one screen and they play a game together. Um, I'm not selling you the video game. I'm selling you the conversation you have when you walk away. Imagine when we go to, when we go to bars with our buddies and all the trash that we talk, you know, someone slips and falls and we, we laugh at it together. We're all, we're all talking about, we're, we're, that's what we're buying is that shared experience of watching someone slipping and falling. It's not the alcohol, it's not the music. We all have it at home, but that's what we sell. We sell individuals coming together and creating relationships in front of the games we all we've all grown to love, and we just duplicate that over and over again. But we but we make it accessible. Um, we could absolutely charge more for our products, but it's it's not about the the uh, the well off entities or individuals in our cities who who can effortlessly afford our our products. It's the individuals who normally couldn't, and that's who we market to because that's what we want to give this experience to, um, and that's where our success has generally come from all this time. Mm. It was funny we were talking about the kids kind of leading the way a lot of the time, and that's what you see. There's a story. There's a story that I heard many, many years ago that I really want to be true, so I'm going to tell it anyway. It was there's something apparently Nintendo was having trouble selling a certain console into the US? It was a Game Boy Advance or a DS or something like that, and they went to some large high schools in America and found out who the popular kids were and gave them these consoles to walk around with at school, and then all the other kids wanted to purchase them as part of that. I thought that was funny for two reasons: a, that's kid setting culture and telling their parents what they want them to buy, but also b that was kind of the birth of influences and a bit of a sidetrack story but for you guys so uh, like for anyone listening i'll give some examples as to what like cities states and countries have done to support esports and then i'd love to learn from you guys about what you think the pathway could be especially for smaller cities and also what you're planning to do so we've seen here in australia um the city of melbourne uh, which is what i live in they've got their own marketing fund called visit victoria they brought uh, or they bring every year the australian open into australia tennis they fund things like that the formula one australian grand prix they help to fund that the melbourne esports open and intel extreme masters in melbourne as well they're also help to fund that there's a smaller city which i used to live in called the city of casey that was running some workshops to help parents understand gaming and also help kids skill up in league of legends with right games so they're doing some shout casting workshops and some basic play workshops we've seen um saudi arabia announce their own uh esports kind of body as well and they launched a 10 million dollar charity tournament which is just crazy amounts of money um 
what else have we seen? Obviously, we've seen Atlanta as well really get hardcore into esports. I had mm-hmm. um, the Stuart Chisholm, the CEO of uh, Hi-Rez and Skillshot, until Skillshot mm-hmm. split from Hi-Rez, saying that you know you can get, I think it was sixty to seventy-five cents back on the dollar, or, or at least at least fifty cents back on the dollar if you are to produce any kind of physical facility or company that exports media products. So for them, they built a multi-million-dollar facility and they would have got half of that back, and that's for them to try to be kind of second Hollywood. So I'd be really interested to learn from you guys. Like, what's the plan for for the support local? Is it is it community building? Is it financial? Is it a bit of both? And also, what's what's some of your advice for any other councils that are looking at this? I've got a lot of councils that have added me on here saying, hey, look, we don't have much money, but we want to do something. Like, where do we start? Oh, man, that's, a, that's an awesome question. Uh, so, okay, so the, the biggest thing with... The success of our, of our council is because we have a complete volunteer council. Yes, we have, we have appointed an advisory board, but the current 65 active members that are in the council all are doing this volunteer. So it's so the people are being rewarded for what they're passionate about. Um, and that's where the beauty comes come from it. Um, so we know that everything that the council members are, are putting out there are truly genuine. Um, but we also have this very diverse collective of individuals from the for-profit to the not-for-profit to the hobbyist, to the enthusiast. Um, and there's also individuals who, um, who who are representatives of companies that also pour into the production and construction of, of the actual esports industry. But uh, what I think the, 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 the key, what I believe the, the key item that will make any coalition or alliance, whatever you want to name your, or your, your group of esports uh, influencers is focused is focus on the community. Um, esports from the beginning, like the actual glitzy word esports, like the professionals, um, has driven esports to be truly a industry of, of privilege. Um, it's kind of like golf and tennis. Like you can't be great at golf or tennis if you can't afford to play golf or tennis. But individuals like esports coalitions and alliances, um, the true they're, they're leveling the playing ground for the players. So. We're creating these easy access points for anyone to get involved in the industry, and doing this is going to actually create a better industry because we're gonna we're gonna get the talent from everywhere. Kind of like if you look if you look at our our, our true football teams, um, some of the greatest players are from third world countries, um, and they come from these less fortunate uh, backgrounds, but they play the sport that's very accessible. They have a, a ball and a field that they got that they could practice on, and then mm-hmm. of course one of these uh one of countries like like america or australia we we discover them and then we import them into our country to play for us um but that's generally how the esports industry is uh is getting improved because coalitions like the ones that we serve are leveling that playing ground but for the for the other cities that that, that want to create a coalition um or an alliance for their cities to improve it it's gonna it has to start at the volunteer level because um, that's the only yeah. way you're going to be able to find individuals that truly want to inc- to improve the industry for the people and not for the money. To back that up, Abdul, I think what that creates is an environment in which people are not necessarily self-serving, but their intention and purpose of doing what they're doing is coming from a genuine place of passion, right? And so some yeah. of us... You know, Abdul, I, Sam, all of us, you know, feed our family solely off of income that comes, you know, from the esports industry. 
Um, and so I think step one for the community as a whole, right, would be to band together those folks with the other folks who are you know out there. We've got guys who do this, you know, part time, but honestly have some of the coolest organizations. I'll shout out Nick the Nerd and KC Game On. They've been running LAN events for 15 years. Those guys are top level IT execs that, you know, put together data centers globally. But they took their passion and got a community built around it and have really taken it to the next level. And I think when you have, you know, unlike a paid group of people or a handful, because we, you know, quite frankly, we could have gone the route of trying to get and it was definitely a discussion we had in the early days. You know, we had the people that have the $55 million to put up to try to get a franchise league. But when we really sat down and said, What's most endemic to us? What's the best thing that we could do for the community? It was to pull together a group with the sole purpose of lowering the barriers of entry to esports. Uh, step one for us and probably for every community would be to, once you've got the group like you, Sam and Abdul and myself and, and the 12 others, you know, the, and the 65 others really that are involved. Then we really started to focus in on what other organizations. So we tucked ours underneath the sports commission. It was really important to us. We ride some of the momentum of the chiefs. Uh, we ride some momentum of some of the stuff that's been going on here in Kansas city. And it was really from that point, just educating them primarily on, Hey, uh, this is Gen Z and younger's like biggest, you know, esports and video games is like literally the biggest cultural thing ever so where yeah. we're all sitting here in the 30 uh, 30 plus crowd saying hey you know esports is cute and cool but you know professional sports and traditional stick and ball sports are still going to run we did a lot of educating the traditional sports teams and the sports commissioner saying like look uh bring up golf like my son is a champion golfer but if i asked him right now if he wanted to do golf tournament this weekend or a Fortnite tournament he's choosing Fortnite 100 percent of the time and so i think this group's really biggest aim at this juncture you know we've got grand ideas for sure but i think the process that in the blueprint we're following is how can we educate just parents right now how can we educate community members right now that hey your son is spending three, four, five, six hours in his bedroom right now playing Fortnite. That's not a detriment to his health. That's not a detriment to his value. He's not going to grow up to be a loser. There's actually a real clear cut pathway for him to get a scholarship at his chosen university. And if he wants to take that and that introduces him into uh, uh, STEM curriculum, which is really a, a kind of an underlying thing here in Kansas City. There's a lot of big tech firms. There's a lot of interest in trying to grow up tech talent using esports as a way to do that. But, you know, me and Sam and Abdul, I think all agree to this statement. Like we firmly believe esports belongs to Gen Z and younger. And so right now we're out there as the adults and the organizers and the business people and the entrepreneurs saying like, we want to create something that's going to be a legacy that we can pass on to basically our children. Uh, and in doing so to Abdul's point, like, how do we do it? So it's not like golf so that you, you know, you, it is an expensive sport. Like how can we make this so that everybody in the community has a low barrier to entry and out of that, our biggest hope is that the, ta the talent pool here in Kansas City, like we would love probably more than having a pro sports team would be a roster of players that grow up uh, playing in public school on, you know, donated computers go off to become, you know, the esports the e stars of tomorrow. That to us, I think would be a much bigger legacy than this group of get to pulling together 55 million bucks like 
virtually, truthfully, a lot of people could probably end up doing if they had the right connection and buying a franchise team. For us, it was just our vision was just so much bigger, and we really wanted to to put the city and the community, and the, specifically the children in the community, in the best position to use esports as a catalyst to new opportunity. Yeah, it's like widening the potential talent pool is something that I've talked about in a, in a few previous podcasts, especially with the sim racing community and the um. And, and you know what's what's afforded to um, to people now that they can start off with a game like Forza on a secondhand PS4 and play, you know, versus um, you know talking to Jamie McLaren from Veloci Esports, who's kind of leading that global narrative, working with the Formula One. They have James Baldwin, who won the world's fastest gamer, and he won a million dollar real life million dollar USD real life McLaren racing contract, which I think was in Formula Three or, or similar, off the back of a sim racing tournament and doing mostly sim racing for his whole life and what jamie was saying is that um even go-karting now which is the absolute base entry level is prohibitively expensive it's easily a hundred thousand dollars if you want to compete at the top level in that kind of section and how many people have a hundred thousand dollars to spare (laughs) not many at all but you know it's much easier to say me as a kid um you know my parents gave me like secondhand computers and stuff and i was i was fortunate to do that through some of my dad's volunteering but their thing was if you want a better computer you have to pay for it we've provided with a minimum that allow you to play older games but if you want a better one you know you have to pay for it so i worked at kfc every week i would take out my money put it in my little pokemon tin when i was in grade eight didn't spend a single dollar for three months and worked my ass off and then went and bought an 850 dollar computer that was pretty crap and needed upgrading in, in a year anyway you know in, in around that kind of 2007 2008 time and that allowed me to play battlefield 2 much better that allowed me to start playing bad company 2 which led yep. me into becoming a semi-pro csgo player you know but not not having those abilities afforded to people obviously lessens that player pool but if you're able to now have this sim racing where um, you know, I'm told that sim races are being used to test cars in the sim before they're actually put onto the track. So they'll dial in the car on the, on iRacing, give it to a sim racer first, and say, "Can you give us some advice before going out?" Because think of it like an aeroplane. Like if you're a, if you're a test pilot, you don't want to just jump in a plane that no one really has any idea. And they've gone, "Oh, we ran a little simulator on the 486. <laughs> I think these three pixels look alright." But if you can actually fly it or you can drive it as a car and it's and it's really like a and as they're saying it's basically a one-to-one experience you've got force feedback you've got say an eight-way pneumatic simulator that some people like modem simulators in australia have it provides you that great experience but it's such a lesser cost you know even though a modem simulator might cost 10 20 30 000 you can still use it for 60 80 100 an hour which is much cheaper than track it's much cheaper than six engineers tires insurance you potentially yeah, crashing exactly. into a wall and you know hiring the track for that time keeping everybody happy, transporting throughout that that kind of process as well. Um, and it was really brought home to me, I think, because when I was at Corsair, we released this computer called the Corsair One that at, the, at that stage was a full 6700K CPU and a 1080, and they were both water-cooled. And the system was like... Um, it, it was it was smaller than that latest Mac that came out. It's, it was like 12 litres. It was tiny. And I, I actually jumped on my motorbike with that in my backpack and rode that. <laughs> two modem simulators with a headset in my backpack as well and gave it to them. So it really shows you that, you know, now there are so many different opportunities for people to get into it. And it's really interesting to me what you guys were saying. I mean, that's the whole that's the whole thing people talk about all the time with, with any kind of sports or with rap, you know, came from nothing and was just writing rhymes and, you know, it's the whole the whole story of the of the foundation of people like Wu Tang Clan and NWA who were really pioneers of that whole space where they came from absolute poverty, but they could afford a pencil and they could afford paper and they could afford to stand around and bang on boxes to make beats and then rap. 
And then it's the same thing with, with computers. And it, it makes sense what you're saying, Abdul, as well. If you don't have, you know, the possibility, if you've got eight brothers and sisters, or like one of my friends, he had five brothers and sisters, they never had a proper computer at home or a computer he could never really get on. So we spent a lot of time at school, you know, um, installing games when we weren't supposed to, staying back after school that have like a Wednesday night kind of games club where everybody would would stick around, yeah. you know, late late until seven, eight, nine o'clock Wednesday night because the teacher understood that the kids, you know, want something to interact with. And I came from a very small town in in Tasmania with t- thirty five thousand people, twenty or about thirty, very high youth unemployment rate, very high adult unemployment rate. So you know, a lot of these kids and my friends didn't have a fantastic home life either. So they needed something, some way to connect. So yeah, it makes sense makes sense to me what you guys are doing. But how do you how do you make it make sense for the city? If you're talking to a councillor, if you're talking to a mayor or someone like that, yeah. how how do you make them actually pay attention and care about this versus, you know, unemployment, homeless people, you know, local sporting clubs, the, the local county fair, um, people might be leaving your, leaving your city, they want more people to move in there. Like, like, how do you actually make the people who control the funds, control the city care about what you care about? Parental education is a, is a big thing. Um Gen Z gets it. We don't have, you know, we, none of us have to explain anything to Gen Z. They, they understand it better than we do. Um, yeah. Educating Gen Z and uh, ed- educating our parents are the ones we have to. Um, so one analogy I often use is uh, we're okay with putting our kids in peewee football because we know what Super Bowl is. Um, so like Jake alluded to earlier, like sh- sh- showing the, pa- the parents and the guardians the, the pipeline from playing in your bedroom to playing on a main stage and what's in between. They, they only see... Beginning, the beginning, and the end. Like we gotta show them that your kids playing in the bed in, in their bedroom. But there's organizations like Kansas City-based organizations, like the high school esports league. There's also play play versus out there as well. And then there are the uh, college leagues as well. And then there's the, the hobbyists and my pro and pro players. Like show them the true trajectory, um, and then that will, uh, as well as the opportunities. Um, so if you're gonna if you're gonna play in junior high school and high school, show them the scholarships. Show them the actual cash prize they can win as well for doing what they love and then show them uh how if traditional stick and ball stick and ball sports aren't their affinity but tech and gaming is show them the stem career then how do you directly tra- uh, correlate to the esports industry everyone isn't going to be a programmer everyone isn't going to be a computer engineer but there are other uh, uh degrees and careers that also play a major role like graphic design if you put a flyer up before this someone had to design that flyer um, and they play a major role. There is no advertising without graphic design. Um, for individuals who have a speaking affinity, that public speaking so for our shoutcasters is necessary. Um, that's that's the whole that's the true value behind the stuff like Twitch and Mixer is. Um, we're all anyone who streams is natively a shoutcaster as well. Because you're you're uh, you're you're speaking over your actual own gameplay. But showing that 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 pipeline from planning your bedroom to a main stage and and all the opportunities in between is is what's going to get the parents and guardians involved, and they're also likely the decision makers for these companies because they've probably been in these companies for ten or fifteen years and they've climbed uh, the corporate ladders to where they they make the final decisions on things. Um, so now uh, the decision makers are aware, and the the actual influencers, the youth. Who already know about the industry, who have the affinity for it, um, continue to play, and you connect them too. Between you connect the two, um, so now the city who wants to, the, the city that want to improve the quality of uh, their neighborhoods, their community centers, their uh, school districts, 
um, if you if you want to get your kids off the streets or if you want to uh, give your kid uh, alternative opportunities for for post secondary education or for the colleges that 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 want to diversify their recruiting class or incre or increase uh, retention rates, you can show them that hey, esports or competitive gaming is an option that your your students have an affinity for. And when that entire pipeline is, is made clear, that's when the cities get behind it. They start building yeah. in, uh, gaming centers or esports facilities, or their their high school junior high school leagues are, are getting funded because they know that that, that, that they're pulling the kids uh, uh, off the streets and back into the classrooms. These computer labs are also also used for 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 gaming uh, esports arenas. Um, the, the kids can, can play to to fund their schooling, but they can also use it for other professional development because because a computer is a computer at the end of the day, whether it's word processing or it's playing league. Um, and the parents will also see the the opportunity because believe me, if, if my three kids can get their school, I'm terrified of what college is gonna is gonna cost when my kids get to college. I know I was expensive when I got my undergrad, um, but if but if I if if I, my parents were told back in 2006 that I could pay for uh my college, I'm, I'm sure they would absolutely have pushed me more towards that, sure. running track, playing football and stuff like that. Um, but, but that's really how you're going to get the city to get behind it, get the schools to get behind it, is showing the opportunities. Yeah, the last thing I'll add to that, and I think Abdul's spot on in terms of you definitely starts with parents, it starts with educators, but you know, specifically Kansas City, it was just aligning our goals and what we could offer as a group with the goals of those that we wanted to ultimately need to do business with, needed to get funds from, needed to get infrastructure from. So we partnered with the sports commission because quite frankly, we had a couple of events. Again, this all started as people coming together over beers that had an interest in esports and just rubbing elbows and just talking. Uh, sports commissioner got invited to that and we just point blank asked her, hey, what do you have on your radar that's got an esport component in the future? So she laid out, I'm, you know, we're doing this event, this event, this event. We're bidding on this event. We want to try to do this, but I have no idea what, what I'm doing as a sports commissioner. And then it was just a matter of taking that and, and then trying to align her with the right people to give her the right information to where then she bought into the vision. I would say we've done the same at the city level. It was, we had a great model, Google Fiber, long before esports came around, was something that really helped push Kansas City and, and, and grow the entrepreneurship and startup ecosystem. And so we just reached out to the guy who helped bring that in and said, look, we want to take that model and, and then repeat that again in esports. Can you help? And so for it was really just, you know, it's, it's core to everything, right? Where can the value exchange be? The education piece and that momentum is definitely something I think that comes first. But when you get down into the nuts and bolts of things, it's like, look, uh, every sports team, every sports commission, every mayor, they have something in, going on in their community where competitive video gaming or sports in general could fill some void, right? And it's just a matter of understanding what that is and then putting together a group of people that can actually facilitate that in, in an executable way. And I think you've got everything that you would need to, to launch this anywhere. Yeah, and I think you guys you guys kind of unearthed what I wanted you to, which was um, talking about understanding what, what they want and then giving it to them. And this is a super common, you know, mentor thread that I go along with people when they're trying to get, you know, commercial relationships. If you want to get a sponsorship from Corsair, you know, who I used to work for, and you're an influencer, go and look at the other influencers that they already sponsor because they've got a global agenda. They're likely sponsoring those influencers because of a certain reason. You know, they sponsor Summit 1G and, you know, he's on all the keyboard ads 
and they have a mouse pad with him. Why? Well, it's probably because they want to focus on FPS. They sponsor ammunition. Like, why would they sponsor that? You know, in Australia, we sponsored certain people. So look at that first. So you can do that with the city as well. And like what you were saying, Abdul, is, is almost like what problems can I solve for you? And that's what you need to come at them with and say, hey, there's, you know, massive youth unemployment. Well, we want to open a land center and give kids the possibility to work casually here to clean the computers. You know, someone needs to clean the mouse and keyboard. So can we hire a kid for eight bucks an hour for two hours a day after school to come in and just do that, wipe down everything and do some sweeping and that gets them off the streets? Can we provide people with the pathway, um, you know, to, to professional sports? And I think a, a clip that I'm going to save on my phone and show to people all the time is, is um, for those people who are watching live, we just had a podcast come out on Monday with Clinton Sparks, the, the VP of Business Development at FaZe Clan, and it was his process of convincing Mark Wahlberg to let his kids play video games. And he called him up and, you know, said, hey, Mark, what do you know about esports? And Mark Wood said, nothing. He's like, all right, do you let your kids play video games? And he said, yeah, like two hours a week. And Clinton Sparks is a record producer and a DJ. He sold over 75 million records. He unearthed um, DJ Snake. He taught DJ Khaled some mentoring in business. He um, has songs that feature Macklemore and P. Diddy and, and other people like that. And he said to Mark Wahlberg, well, what if your mother and my mother only let us practice music for two hours a week? We wouldn't be where we are today whatsoever. And he was like, you're right. And he went on to explain that, you know, it's the same way as like what I do was saying that if you, you know, have Little League, you're going to let your kid play in that. And, you know, I did a podcast recently with a with a, a dad of a five-year-old Call of Duty prodigy. And he said that, you know, my kid plays golf. My kid plays NFL. My kid plays football. He plays, um, you know, he does swimming quite well and he does athletics and he also plays Call of Duty. But, you know, we're just trying to find out, as you do with many kids, you let them play as many sports as they can, but they whittle them down over time. Because then when you start to become more serious about football, you can't do three trainings a week in all different sports at once. So, you know, like you were saying, Jake, is that after a time it might whittle down to be, okay, it's two. It's only golf and it's only Fortnite. And then it becomes one, you know, when you're 16, 17, you're thinking about where am I going to shoot for? I'm going to shoot for a League of Legends sponsored uh, scholarship or a golf scholarship. Then you can choose which way you want to go and where your passion is. You know, I think I think all those I think all those points are, are fairly important. What's so? What's coming up next for you guys? What are you What are you working on at the moment? Is there any specific focus? That, that Sam, you want to tell you want to fill them in on what's coming up with the uh, charity stream? Yeah. So we uh, on this Thursday. Well, it's going to be uh, this is going to air um, after the event, but uh, this Thursday on the 14th, we are going to have our charity event. Um, it's for the Kansas City Regional COVID Relief Fund um, that was organized under uh, the Sports Commission's help. And so a lot of things are going on the last uh, you know couple months here in Kansas, Kansas City, especially uh, when it comes to esports. And so this this effort is really going to be kind of the launch, um, the inaugural event, if you if you will, of the Kansas City Esports Coalition. This is going to be you know our, our, our initial kind of brushstroke on the canvas. Um, and, and as Jake put it, you know we we've done a lot to to get here. Um, there's been a lot of people and. and that have really contributed to, to get this um, from an idea into reality. Um, and I think the big thing is, is kind of to circle back to when we were kind of speaking on the grassroots portion of it um, and talking about access, right? Like access is a huge, huge thing. Um, and I think that esports especially is, is giving us a, a look into why access is so important. And I think to your point, uh, Chris, when you give a young kid, uh, you know, two, three, four, five years old, when you're giving them access to a variety of, of these things, like they're going to unlock stuff that we've never seen before um, because they're, they're smarter than we are uh, in certain ways. Right. So, and figuring that out, we realized that. And so 
what we understand is that once we get out into the public eye, if we have the right partners, if we have the right structure, if we build the right practices, and we build the right brand, um, then we're going to leave a lasting impression, right? So, you know, for, for all of us here on the call and, and everyone that's a part of the coalition, you know, we're, we're all, we all have our own personal interests, right? Of course, we're all interested in certain sectors of the, of the industry and whatnot. But what brings us all together is that we understand, again, the ecosystem component, right? That not one of us can do this by ourselves, even if we become, to Jake's point, even if we bought a $25 million COD team, if we don't build an ecosystem for it, it's going to fall flat on its face. And, and, you know, we don't have to point point fingers, but, you know, we all know what that looks like right now when you when you cash in hard on an org. Um, you know, when there's when when I can count on one hand how many profitable organizations there are in the entire world, that's a problem. Right. So for us, we want to we want to figure out and unlock um, where is this section, you know, this intersection, we were talking about corporations, but where is this intersection between culture and corporate, corporate culture, right? Where we were talking, you were talking about hip hop, Chris, but, uh, someone, I, I don't know if you had posted it, but someone on LinkedIn had, had, uh, equated esports to punk rock. Um, and so this, this anti-culture, right? So what we're seeing right in the last couple of years is the anti-culture becoming the, the regular culture, the pop culture. So we're seeing Travis Scott, we're seeing, you know, we're seeing, these things become more mainstream but what we're seeing is that the most successful ventures are when business people who have lots of resources lots of experience in different sectors come and shake hands with no ego and no pride with people who don't really know that much about business but know a lot about the nuances of gaming right like we always look at video games as being we want to educate we look people look at video games as being like oh we're just on a controller but you know for to practice there's so much there's so much complexities there, right? When you're a basketball player, there's the special activities for your just your hand muscles and and your your you know your calves or, or whatever, right? Like it is the exact same, um, and it's all and it's harder sometimes for these kids because each game has a completely different set of, of you know rules and and regulations. So getting kids into positions to dissect these games early is crucial to not only building the right infrastructure for Kansas City and other cities but also to create profitable scaling esports and gaming uh you know businesses because if we can get them in early we can understand quicker what they're pro you know what they really are liking and what you know a lot of what i say is you know if you, just because you're a shooter doesn't mean people want to play right like you you, you have to build a, a good game now right like it doesn't it can't you can't just slap as, as abdul said if you if you just slap esports on it people smell it right away because there's crappy streamers there's there's t terrible esports players like you don't you don't want to you're not turning turning on lebron james to watch him like brick for 30 minutes you know but but the value of his brand is immense right so that's that that's that connection that we're trying to show that you know jake and abdul have been you know just real trailblazers along with many other of our partners on the industry is you know people like josh garf from level up arena and you know and, and the people that he's mentioned as well with the casey game on as well as midwest esports there's just so many people that are that are playing their role but the big thing is is that we can make money but what does 30 years look like what does 40 years look like how do we build that and, and the only way to build that is by doing things that have never happened before right we, we have to we have to approach this with fluid intelligence and not crystallized 
Mm. Yeah. yeah, I think the the punk rock thing you were referring to is Patrick Mahoney from We Are Nations was on a podcast yeah. we did with him. Yeah, yeah, he was talking yeah. about that. Done one or two with him thus far. It's definitely uh, th- that same note. It's it's definitely becoming more mainstream, right? I really think that that you know the kids these days don't even see it like that. Like the, it, w- it would be inconceivable for my seven year old if we told him that video games is punk rock. If he knew what punk rock was, he would never be able to make that connection. He'd be like, "What do you mean? It's basically." You know the most popular thing on the planet if i go to school this is what i talk about my friends are engaged in Fortnite. like all of them i think are really really into that and i think the other thing sam said i want to just touch really lightly on just touch on just a little bit more is that you know there's been a lot of economic growth because of this group formation right there's been hundreds of thousands of dollars that have come from new sources new people new partnerships that have formed out of that core group of, of 65 people that have met up um but you never hear us talk about that's the mission that's the goal that's the aim it's all really been about how can we serve each other how can we how can high tide rise high tide how can that raise up all the ships and we know that as a result of that, as a byproduct of putting out something amazing, right? That that's really where the money's going to come from. And so it's like, even like this event that we're putting on Thursday, we brought in, you know, a, a company that's for the, from a production standpoint, they're running 2k uh, league on ESPN. Now so we'll have ESPN level high broadcast uh, capabilities. We have an amazing list of auction items that can go out worldwide from, you know, Bo Jackson, you know, Tech Mobile touchdown autograph posters to the creators of uh, Tetris signing a signed copy of the original Tetris to all kinds of just really, really cool stuff that we were able to pull together and, and put that out there. But it's none of that comes back to anybody in this group, right? It's just truly been, I have a group, I have a business, it's successful. This is what I can offer. You have a nonprofit, this is what you have to offer. You have, you know, in Sam's case, uh, his team has been amazing at pulling together graphic design and just completely elevated the look and feel of everything that we do. Like all that stuff's really, really important, but because, and it hasn't been without clash, but for the most part, it's been, we checked our egos at the door and mm-hmm. we've all rally rallied around this concept of like, dude, if we can just make something amazing, it's going to benefit everybody. It doesn't just have to benefit this person or this group. We could have done that. Other cities have done that where they've gotten a handful of like 10 people together that had the most money and they put together something and it's really yeah. going to serve and benefit them. We've taken the complete opposite route and said people that have resources are willing to give that resource knowing that the ecosystem is created. Abdul, Sam, Nick, Ashley, you know, all these people that are involved in this will 1000% benefit as a result of what we create collectively. Yeah. Well, I think, in the, as you touched on, I mean, $100,000, you know, to all of us, regardless of our positions and, and you know, where, because everyone's in different positions and different businesses, but $100,000, a million dollars, $10 million, you know, what is that in comparison to, you know, lifting up a, you know, young, champion in a sport for your city right like think about you know we talk about what is the impact that we can have on really just driving you know driving inspiration right like we as 12 year olds you know for us like as 11 9 10 11 12 year olds we did not have confidence most of us did not have that these kids haven't have have a true the the most you know viral way of finding that in a quick fashion if we take those barriers out of their way right so we have to realize okay you know yeah we can have 10 million dollars but we can lose 10 million dollars right away but what lasts forever imagine 
you know, for example, I always use the, you know, example of, you know, what if an 11 year old female wins uh, for the Kansas City Pioneers and wins a championship in Fortnite? She has a jersey. All the young girls, young guys wear her jersey. Now they're rocking, a, you know, Kansas City city based board, but they're rocking a young woman. She's, you know, and, and think of what that does for a young person. It, it helps them really understand their place in the world because as a kid, you're the whole thing is that you don't belong there, right? We always feel like we're, we don't belong, but this is our. This is the first vehicle, truly, in my mind, that allows these kids to show their worth in a way that's never, never been possible. Mm. Yeah, I think it's like one interesting thing that you guys are talking about that I've said quite a lot is you know we're like we're I think we're all a pretty similar age. I was born in '91, and I, and I feel like my generation or our generation is the last of non-gamers. In, in that, you know, a lot of Gen Z that I talk to, they don't classify themselves as a gamer the same way that a lot of people don't classify themselves as a car driver. Because if you're in Australia or the US, you're just expected that most likely you know how to drive a car. It's nothing special. Everybody does it. So talking to some TikTok um, people who don't classify themselves as gamers at all, you know, they're mainly doing dancing or comedy or skits or creating content, but they all they all play Fortnite. They're like, of course I play Fortnite. Like everybody does. Like, and that's yeah. you know that's the same thing with with a lot of these kids these days. That it's just expected. And like you know, like we we're all talking about before, it's that whole punk rock thing. You know, now it's just the absolute norm. And I think that you know our generation and, and you know millennials as a whole is probably the last generation of, of people who some don't play games. I know that some people mm-hmm. you know just have never yes. grown up playing games and maybe even a tiny bit of FIFA or something like that. But but that's about it. But now it's Mm-hmm. super common that you know you're playing Fortnite every night and and you know like so many people have commented on and I, and I think this first came out from a guy called Andrew Condon who works at Gemba in Australia which is a sports marketing company and I've done some consultancy with them for some esports projects is that um, you know Fortnite is the new skate park for a lot of these kids and for me with my friends that's Discord and Dota 2 you know I don't even the ones we live in the same I live in the same state with that I used to play semi-pro or just met over the period of time of playing games you know and, and post this coronavirus shutdown is that we don't really catch up in person very much at all, but we always hang out over Discord. And it's not so much about playing the game of Dota 2 together. That's about, mm-hmm. that's our pub. That's, we don't go and hang out at the local pub like has happened for generations in, in Australian culture where you go down to the local and have a few beers. We now hang out in Discord. Some of us might have beers, some of us might have G Fuel, some of us might have whatever mm-hmm. else. But it's that whole process of that. And and it really ties into me where most people come to me saying, Chris, as a brand or an investor, I want to get into esports. Granted, that's in my company name. Usually they want to get into gaming. um, But usually what they really want is Gen Z millennials and gaming is just the interface. It's just the way to talk to them. And like we're saying about some of your um, messaging and and reasoning is that, you know, kids don't want to go to a Headspace community center and play Monopoly and talk to the social worker anymore but they would likely probably go in there and talk to a social worker if they were playing Fortnite or they had some sort of electronic device, you know, to be connected to there. And I think I, I felt that switch a lot as well when I was a kid, when you would go to the doctors or something like that, when you're, you know, and your parents would make you sit in the waiting room. There's just toys to play with magazines to read. And you're like, what the hell? Where's my Super Nintendo? Or something like that. <laughs> yeah. You go to after yeah. school care like I used to sometimes. It was awesome because they'd always have a they'd have a SNES there and they'd have a Nintendo 64 and a, and a PlayStation yeah. 1. You're like, this is the best place ever. I can play PlayStation 1 at school. Like, I want to come here all the time. But, you know, and, and then it comes to the answer of, well, what's better? Is it is it better for a kid to come to school and, and do four hours of schooling plus two hours of games? Or is it better for them to do 12 hours of games and not go to school at all? 
stay at home. And I've done that too. You know, I fluffed off during year 11 quite a lot, you know, when I was 16, years old. I had a full two till 2 a.m., wake up. Oh, I'm pretty sure I feel sick. I'm just going to go to sleep, wake up at 2 o'clock and play again. It would have been much better if I had a reason to go to school and I was able to play Battlefield 2 during my lunch break or, you know, have one period every day or per week where I could do that. And it would very much likely result in me going to school much more often, which would have resulted in, you know, better grades and less my mum yelling at me during year 12. <laughs> But, yeah. you know, I managed to pull yeah. it together in the end, but other people didn't. You know, I had a, my best mate who has a battlefield tattoo and so do I. You know, he left me high and dry many times. He would, it would be like, where's Brad? We're supposed to be doing a work project together in IT, going to X-Fire, check it, Speedy X playing Battlefield 2. Like, I knew it. Like, I knew he wouldn't. Yeah. So, yeah. I, think you, I think you hit it on the head when you said this is the last generation of non-gamers. Yeah. Um, because I still think, you know, if you're, if you're to be a gamer and be, you know, in your thirties, um, it's like the definition is clearly, I've got 15 years. I competed in land tournaments for 15 years. Like I'm PC only, like that's the qualification where to your point that the younger generation just, just doesn't even see it as a separate thing at all. And, um, I always, I had this conversation a lot having children, but it's like, especially now with COVID, right. It's like, I've, We've been primarily using video games as the mechanism to teach, quite honestly, because it's about the only way I as a parent can continue to hold their conversation. And yes. if you look at what school is today anyway, they go there, they get a Chromebook as early as first grade. They're doing computer learning all based on video games. And it's like if, if somebody could just take a first grade lesson and throw it in Minecraft or first grade lesson, throw it in Fortnite. And, and that to me would be the greatest education tool for that generation that's, that they could possibly ever have because they just, yeah. to them, it's so natural. It's so organic for the, it's so ingrained in part of their life, whether their parents play with them or their parents use that as a babysitter is irrelevant. I mean, it's just something that they have access to. And if that's the interface of choice to your point, whether it's brands, education, whatever, mixing those together is probably the best way to, to for anybody to absorb information but specifically that gen z and yeah I think, yeah i think removing though let's just go back to removing the the barriers for these students so like one thing that we would do with, with the students in our esports as a career class is we would uh teach them how to install minecraft on a raspberry pi um super cheap uh entry point for a credit card credit card side pc and it gives the, the the kids something that they can build with their own hands, program with their own hands, and then they can take it home and be proud with it. Hook up to the HDMI port on their on their parents' television screen, and they can show their parents what they're creating at school. For them, it's 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 the gamification of education. So yes. the, the the parents are now satisfied because they learn something that they see coding in, in, in STEM, and then the kids they just get their game. Um, and it's, it just goes back to, to meeting them where they're at and ha- helping them to enjoy what they already want. They want the game. Um, but we make them work for it by learning how to put this software on the Raspberry Pi. Um, and it's such a small entry point that most schools can either front the cost for it or they can ask the parent or guardian to to buy in so that, so, so that they want to, so that they'll take a larger ownership of the project. Um, but it gives a lot of the kids their first PC or their first console. My first console was the NES Classic. Um, I still can remember playing Tecmo Super Bowl with my older brother like it was yesterday. But today, um, seeing like the NES Classic be re be recreated, I was there the first morning to pick it up because it took me back to the experience that I shared. So hopefully that 
we're igniting that flame in the next uh, generation of brilliant minds by saying, hey, we know you love video games, so we're going we're gonna to give you video games, but you got to work for it. And programming this computer is what you got to do for it. And parents, if, if, you, wanna, if, if you want that, um, that educational aspect, you have to support your, your child or whoever you're a guardian over um, in, this, in this entity, but it gives them that, that first uh, entry into the industry as well as technology um, that anyone can kind of grasp, that just about anyone can grasp. Yeah, yeah. well, I, I, I was going to say, I think that we, as a society in general, we our, our story is one of self-deprecation, right? Like we, we oftentimes don't, we as, you know, the adults, right? Like as a Gen Zer, you know, I, I was born in 96, so I'm about to, about to hit my Jordan year here shortly. So that'll be great. Um, but but for me, you know, I, I was, I grew up with ADHD. Um, video games were one of the only things I could keep up with my brain when I was young. And, and that and I was treated, um, as many others are, uh, with ADHD and hyperactive minds that I, it was wrong or that it wasn't correct or, or whatever, whatever those stereotypes were, right. I was medicated and all that good stuff. But, you know, when I start to think about it, I start to think about why do we, why do we reject? Why does all, why do adults want kids to do stuff on the type, right? You know, why are we, why do we learn cursive? Like we didn't need that. Like, no. So what, what it makes me think about is, if kids, you know, we already know that stories are the most, the proven most efficient way to communicate information from person to person. It's, you know, since the beginning of time, stories have been that, right? Esports gives us a vehicle for immersive storytelling in a way that is, is impossible, literally, in other spaces like art, music, literally impossible. They have, those industries have to go to esports to become what they what esports is right like travis scott has to go to Fortnite if he wants to be like that if he wants to have that experience so what it makes me think of is we're looking at these five-year-olds saying you don't know what's the right for you you don't know what's best for you but as adults we also say that the best thing for you is to do what you love and do what you want so why aren't we letting these kids find out faster what it is that they love and just indulge them, just give it to them. And, and as Abdul said, you have to meet them where you are. If Because the video games are giving them, you know, if you give a kid a lesson, a I'll, I would bet my life savings that if you gave a first grader a lesson and you taught it in Minecraft as opposed to pen and paper, his retention would be absolutely, or his or her retention would be astounding in, in comparison. And not they don't even have to play a game. It could literally be the class being hosted in Minecraft, right? Like just that simple adaptation. But we, we refuse to do it because we think it's stupid, be, you know? There's a, yeah. good, um, there's a good TED talk that I just that I just dropped in the chat for anyone who's watching live um, by a lady called Jane McGonagall, um, who did a lot of study around this. She's got a book called Reality is Broken, but she talks about how World of Warcraft gives players the means to save worlds, but the also the incentives to learn the habits of heroes and around that task building. So, you know, a lot of the a lot of the quests in World of Warcraft, especially in early stages, is just go get five pelts from five different wolves and you've got to go around and kill forty of them to be able to drop five and then you bring that back and you've completed a task and go do something else. And a lot of it is she's talking about the same stuff what you're saying, Sam, is like how can you build a video game that has those incentives included in them? And I remember as a kid, you know, being in grade one and having you know, early educational computer games, everyone wanted to play that. Everyone wanted to play cool math games. 
everyone wanted to play like this Zambonis game that you could get from the library because it was was fun and you had to do maths to pass it, but it was so much better than just crunching out numbers on a, Many on a pencil and paper and getting sore fingers. I taught my son gardening uh, through Farm Simulator. So yeah. the entire process of clearing land, pre-treating it, getting it ready to plant the seeds, planting the seeds, taking care of it, harvesting. Yeah. And since that lesson, I've never had to ask him when he as part of his day to go out there and water the plants and be attentive to them. So he's taken a lot of ownership. I would have never in a million years have they had the patience myself or him to stand out there and do that in real time. So being able to simulate that on a shorter time frame and a medium and a mechanism that he understand absolutely helped him retain that. And I agree with Stan, like this whole COVID time when we, this teachers are trying to figure out how to hold class or do it over zoom, like, Minecraft would have been the ideal uh, scenario to, to drop those in. And I was joking in Chris's. I was joking on Chris's post yesterday about hosting. Imagine having business meetings in Fortnite or in Minecraft. Like people would do that, yeah. and, and a, adults yeah. would do that. And so for us, you know, for me, like I realized it when I was at home working from home during quarantine, and I've got. You know, I've got my computer, I'm working on a video, but I've also got like, you know, latest Twitch. Like I've got, you know, some streaming going on. I've, you know, I've got some stuff in the background and then I'm like, hold on a sec, but we don't let kids like have their own space. And like, this is what makes me comfortable. This is my, this is my, my zone. Like, why don't we give them that? They, they need that. They need like kids are the most subject to their environment. Adults are much more resilient. Kids are not. We, we have to give them that right environment. Yeah, I'm all about those. I'm all about those alternative meeting spots. My my favorite meeting of all time was with a very good friend of mine who I'm doing some business with right now. Um, and we went and got a a head and a head and neck massage together in Melbourne while we were sitting next to each other having our meeting. I thought it was perfect. And then afterwards, we went and grabbed some food and sat outside at, you know, sat outside in the park. I was like, this is how meetings should be. I don't know why you got to wear a suit and sit around a board table and offer people courtesy water and coffee. This is so much better. And I even paid. So, you know, it was much, it was much better him. He paid for the drinks later, so that was fine. I came out as the winner. So, guys, um, you know, we've been going for we've been going for a while now. But sure. where can where can people connect with you online if they'd like to learn more about this or they'd like to kick off something similar in their city, town, state, wherever? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. You, got, you got all the info pulled up, probably. Yeah. So everything that we have going on right now, it's a lot of it's going through, of course, the the Kansas City Esports Coalition, but also the uh, the Sports Commission, um, this Kansas City Sports Commission specifically. Um, so the event again is on May fourteenth, um, but you can find everything that we do at uh, at aesportkc.org. Um, that's on all socials. So at sign esportkc.org. You can find us on Twitch, Mixer, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, all that, all that good stuff. So please, please go tune in. Um, you know, the, the social the social media movement from the coalition is going to be really strong um, coming right out the gate. We want to do a really good job of, of providing educational resources, um, you know, indulging in the culture and, and really just uh, bringing a, a lifestyle component to, to the community. So um, please follow along and, and uh, send us a message to learn more, please. Yeah, fantastic. All right, guys, thanks so much for coming on today. And, and thank you to everyone who's 
watching and listening, whether you're watching the VOD later, watching live on LinkedIn, Twitch, or listening to the audio-only version of the podcast. As always, got plenty more of these coming. So thanks for listening, everyone. Bye for now. Thanks for tuning into our podcast today. For show notes, relevant links, and upcoming projects, you can check us out online at bigesports.gg or follow us on our social medias at bigesports underscore gg. 